0: You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join him now. I heard a story this week about a, a man who, in Russia, ran across the street to a lady holding a cake, pushed her out of the way, and simultaneously grabbed the cake out of her hand, only to stand next to her calmly and say, could you please call the police and report this robbery? Uh, the lady didn't understand, but she called the police anyways, reported the robbery, and the police came arresting the man who explained that he's been in prison for 12 years and just can't imagine a life outside of the bars. And so through that little cake-stealing incident, he got another three years attached to his uh, uh, his record uh, for violation of parole. Uh, some guys just can't stay out of prison. Some guys don't want to stay out of prison, and it seems like Paul just can't stay out of prison as we read the book of Acts. We've seen him multiple times tried and attacked and and arrested by angry mobs. We've seen him even executed at one point by a stoning only to come to life again. And, And now we see him being arrested in Jerusalem for perhaps the final time. Uh, Perhaps the the cat has used up his nine lives or he's used his last get out of jail free card because we're going to see him in jail for the rest of the book of Acts, consistently under trial, consistently under house arrest. Uh, We've seen him arrested there in Jerusalem, brought before a, a, a Roman commander, brought before the Jewish Supreme Court known as the Sanhedrin, transported by the Roman commander 78 miles by a A uh, Roman escort of 472 soldiers, spearmen, and cavalrymen to stand trial before uh, the Roman governor Felix, who's been given this rule over Judea and the Jewish people by uh, the Caesar of that day. And so, here as we come to chapter 24, verse 22, we've seen Paul make his defense against the Jewish accusations accusations as he stood before uh, the governor Felix. But then we see here in verse 22, he's brought back before Felix once again, not so much for a trial, but just more for an explanation about who Christ is, what Christianity is. And as we'll see at the end of verse 24, he preaches concerning the faith in Christ. As Spurgeon introduced this chapter, he said, it's here in our text where Paul stands before the Roman procurator to be tried on a matter of life and death. But instead of entering into a defense for himself, he reasons with the judge of righteousness, continence, and judgment to come until his judge Trembles, and he sits upon the throne to take the prisoner 's place now, while the prisoner judges him in anticipation of that time when the saints shall judge the angels as assessors with Christ jesus and that 's what we 're going to see in this small little passage here, this small little section of Rome, of uh, Paul standing again before a Roman governor. It says there in verse 22, but when Felix had heard these things, these things speaking of the, the defense of Paul with, uh, before the Jews and before Felix, he heard Paul's defense and he had a more accurate knowledge of the way. He adjourned the proceedings and said, when Lysias the commander comes down, I'll make a decision on your case. You know, he could have made a decision last week when we studied this section last week. He could have made the decision because he knew that Paul was innocent. Paul gave his defense saying, look, none of these charges are true. The only thing that I admit to is that I was in Jerusalem and that I have a hope in the resurrection from the dead, both of the just and the unjust. There were no, there was no foundation to the Jews accusations against Paul. And so just as the Roman commander found no fault in him, just as even the Pharisees in Jerusalem in chapter 23 found no fault in Paul, um, Felix should have just given the not guilty verdict and let him go, just like Pilate should have let Jesus go with a non-guilty verdict. But in wanting to please the Jews, just like Pilate, Felix keeps them around for a little bit longer. And so in verse 23, he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or to visit him. You know, we don't really have much of an account of the friends of Paul being there with him to encourage him through this whole ordeal. You remember when he came into Jerusalem back in chapter 21, that James and the elders said, hey, take a vow you know, just show everyone that you still have some, some, you know, good Jewishness in you and that you're not trying to just, you know, get rid of the Jew. You know, come on, just be sensitive to people. And, and Paul did that. And while he did that, while he was showing some sensitivity, you know, he was attacked and he was arrested. And You don't see any of his friends standing there with him. And for much of his life, you won't. You know, in his final letter at the, the last chapter of 2 Timothy You know, he just writes about how, man, in in his defense there before Nero, nobody stood with him. Everyone forsook him. None of his friends were there. But he says, but the Lord stood with me. The Lord was with me. Kind of sad to see sometimes how we forsake each other in our greatest moments of trial. We're not there. We're too busy. You know, we're just, we're in our own little bubble, our own little circle. There's not real record of people coming alongside and encouraging Paul. And yet the the governor here says, but you know, you're in Caesarea. If anyone wants to come visit you, don't forbid him. And we know Philip the evangelist was there with his four virgin daughters who prophesied. Perhaps they came and brought, you know, some some things, some gifts to help him along there. Um, But really what happened is Paul entered into a couple years of a Mediterranean club med vacation. In a sense, you know, I've been to this area of Caesarea in Israel, and it's beautiful. The Mediterranean Sea is gorgeous. Herod has this palace, the foundation stones still there that stretch out into the harbor. A gorgeous place. And it seems that Paul was given more of a house arrest status um, as a prisoner there. Uh, So it was after some days, verse 24, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and heard him concerning faith in Christ. So we speak of this Felix and we want to remember who exactly he is. Uh, we remember that he was once a Roman slave. And isn't that interesting just to think of? Here's a governor who was once a slave. And his brother, Paulos, happened to have a personal relationship with Caesar Nero. And so as a favor to Paulos, Nero granted his younger brother uh, freedom. And not only that, he placed him over this region of Judea to be ruler. The Roman historian, historian Tacitus, as we'll recall from last week, wrote that Felix was a master of cruelty and of lust. He exercised the power of a king in the spirit of a slave. He was a ruthless man. He had that mafia-type mentality. He was an extortioner. He was a dangerous man. He was an unrighteous man. And now he is acting as judge over the holy apostle Paul. He wanted to hear more about this Jesus. And, And so he has Paul come in and he hears Paul concerning the faith in Jesus Christ. And he sits there as judge with his wife. Drusilla, Drusilla, sounds beautiful, doesn't it? Right up there with Cruella de (laughs) Vil. A beautiful name, probably so much so that two out of three of Felix's wives were named Drusilla. That makes things a little complicated in a marriage relationship. In the life of Claudius Suetonius, a famous biographer... Inform us, informs us that Felix was married to three different princesses, but unfortunately we only know the names of two of them, and they were both Drusilla. But if we are to believe the Roman historian Tacitus, the first Drusilla was the daughter of Mark Anthony and Cleopatra the seventh of Philopater. So some of those names sound a little bit familiar. But this second Drusilla, the one we read about here in Acts chapter 24, was a woman a lot like her name sounds. In fact, if you Google the name Drusilla, a couple of hits come up. The first one is Drusilla or Drew, a character from The Young and the Restless, a sexually immoral adulterer who has an affair and fathers a child with her brother-in-law, although she blames it all on a little bit too much cold medicine. The next hit for Drusilla comes from a character on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, who's introduced as a more unconventional and equally dangerous vampire. A young psychic in Victorian London who had a potential for sainthood, Drusilla was driven insane by Angel before he eventually turned her into a vampire. Two different Hollywood fictional characters, and yet when you morph them together, guess what? You've got this Drusilla in Acts chapter 24. The ancient Drusilla from Paul's day was a beautiful woman, much like her Hollywood characters. She was immoral and adulterous, even given over to pagan rituals and and practicing uh, with psychics, mediums, and sorcerers. She was a wicked woman with a wicked heritage. Listen to her family tree. Her great-grandpa was Herod the Great. This is the one who sought to kill the little baby Jesus and put to death all male children two years old and under in Bethlehem and all of her districts. Her great-uncle was Herod Antipas, the Herod who stole his brother's wife, Herodias, and then killed John the Baptist, offering his head up on a platter to his seductive stepdaughter. Her father was Herod Agrippa the first the one who killed the apostle James and tried to kill Peter, but later on was struck down by an angel because he took from the glory of the Lord and was consumed by worms there on the spot on the very stage in Caesarea that Paul now gives his defense to Felix. As a teen, Drusilla was married to a prince from Syria until she got fascinated with the occult. And so history tells us that Felix fell in love with this beautiful Drusilla who was married already to a Syrian prince. So Felix hired a sorcerer friend named Simon the Sorcerer, perhaps the same Simon we read about on the island of Cyprus. Simon the Sorcerer convinced Drusilla to leave her Syrian husband and become Felix's third wife at the age of 19. She heeded Simon the sorcerer's advice. She first became Felix's lover and later on his wife. And history tells us that Felix and Drusilla's marriage occurred just before their encounter with the Apostle Paul here in uh, Acts chapter 24. Drusilla was noted in that age for her superlative charms and her unbridled voluptuousness. She was a Jewish woman who had had compromised her ancestral faith for paganism, for lust, for covetousness. And here we see them sending for Paul the Apostle, Paul the Christian, Paul a member of the way. And they hear him concerning faith in Christ. It's at this point that Paul's life is in danger. Felix could kill Paul then and there just to please the Jews. But he doesn't water down the gospel. He goes for it. He preaches it. He preaches to the sins of the people that were in his audience and they heard him regarding faith in Christ. Who knows why they asked for a private audience with Paul for entertainment purposes. We know that that. uh Drusilla's great uncle, Herod Antipas, wanted to be entertained by Jesus at Jesus' trial. So perhaps his relative, Drusilla, wants to be entertained by a little Christ, by Paul the Apostle. Perhaps Drusilla beckoned Paul because her family's experience with Christianity. You know, because her father was slaughtered on the stage that Paul now stands on. Who knows exactly why they were there, but Paul preached it. He preached faith in Christ, and they heard him concerning it. it. says there in verse 25, Now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now, and when I have a convenient time, I will call for you. So Paul, in his sermon, he begins reasoning and persuading about three different subjects. Righteousness, self-control, specifically sexual self-control, and the judgment to come. Paul hones in on the specific here, speaking directly to the issues going on in people's lives. This is an appropriate sermon. As he starts out with righteousness, he preaches an appropriate message to a ruler who practiced unjust extortion. I don't know how many of you have been a victim of extortion, but I have a friend who's in prison right now that as I went and visited him, he spoke of his relationship with his extortioner. First of all, I didn't even know what that was, so I had to have him explain to me. And he says, he works in the kitchen every day about $2.50 a day and has to pay his extortioner $20 a month for protection while he's out in the yard with no real guarantee that he'll be protected. And so he labors away and sweats night and day to pay a man who promises to protect him. But if he doesn't pay the man, the man will beat him to a bloody pulp. And that's what Felix was. He was an unrighteous extortioner of the Jewish people who ruled them very heavy-handedly. And so Paul speaks to this man about his level of righteousness. Here, Drusilla or Drew and Felix sit judging Paul. But in reality, they were going to sit before the righteous judge. And so first of all, this righteousness that Paul speaks of, it means The knowledge of right and wrong. And it speaks of a right standingness before God. Are you righteous today? Do you stand rightly before God? Are you right with God through your faith in Jesus Christ? Though Drusilla and Felix sat in royal robes, Paul shows them in his message that they really are sitting in robes of filth. They're clothed in these robes of unrighteousness. And though they were adulterers and murderers and involved with the occult, don't point the finger too soon. Every single one of us finds ourselves in a sinful state, fallen short of the glory of God, as Romans tells us. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 tells us that we are all like an unclean thing. I like that phrase, an unclean thing, because I immediately start thinking about, well, what are unclean things? (laughs) Whatever it is, we're all like it. You name it, and it's unclean, and that's you. Uh, Isaiah goes on to say what that unclean thing really is. All of our righteousness on our best day are like filthy rags. All of our righteousness. It's an unclean thing. It's a filthy rag before the glory of the Lord. He goes on to say, we all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. That's you. Your iniquities like the wind have taken you away and you are just like Drusilla. You are just like Felix, an unclean thing, a filthy rag someone who's been taken away by your sin. But perhaps Paul preached to Felix that while he's clothed in unclean rags of unrighteousness, Drusilla as well, that that day, if Felix would yield his life to Christ, he could say like Job, I now put on righteousness and it clothed me. Isaiah chapter 61 verse 10 Speaks of the Lord clothing me with the garments of salvation. He's covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Felix, you're clothed in unrighteousness. You're an adulterer, man. You've got three wives and you manipulated the wife that you have now to leave her husband through a psychic You're an extortioner. You're heavy-handed, clothed in robes of unrighteousness. Your iniquities, Felix, have taken you away. But Felix, today in Christ, his blood will cover you. And those unclean things that you're clothed in will become robes of righteousness. And you'll be dressed, Felix, like a groom on his wedding day. Drusilla, you're filthy, Drusilla. But by the grace of God, you can be washed, you can be cleansed, you can be justified. And you, Drusilla, can look like a bride who's adorned herself with jewels. You can be a brand new creation in Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, a, a verse that just resonates in my heart. It says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Paul wrote that, no doubt Paul preached that to Felix, to Drusilla, that Jesus hung on the cross and became sin for Felix, all of the Felixes in the world, all of the Drusillas in the world. Someone who never tasted of sin became sin so that the sexually immoral, the disobedient, the prideful, the rebellious, the covetous that they could all know forgiveness and be cleansed. You can just picture Paul warning Felix, perhaps quoting Romans chapter 1 verse 18, that Felix, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You're unrighteous, Felix. You're unrighteous, Drusilla. And the wrath of God is being revealed against you and will certainly be made known on that final day. Because you've suppressed the truth. That word "suppress" means to hold down and to actually steer against a current. Both of these individuals suppressing the truth. Romans 1 also says that they actually exchanged that truth for a lie. And that God actually gave these individuals up to a debased mind. God actually gave you individuals up to a based mind. We're just like Felix and Drusilla, suppressing the truth of God. Those that suppress the truth will have the wrath of God revealed against them. Paul was reasoning with them that they will either face Jesus as their savior or as their judge. And there in Romans chapter one, verse 17, Paul says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So no doubt in his sermon, he says, you are an unclean thing. You are unrighteousness. The wrath of God is against you. But Felix, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it's the power of God into salvation. And in that gospel, the righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. And if you want to be just today, Felix, if you want to be just and righteous today, Drusilla, you'll have faith in Christ Jesus because it's written in the prophets, the prophet Habakkuk, that the just shall live by faith. Reading through Romans with Lindsay, just actually just... These verses on the righteousness of God just impacting me this week as we are in Romans chapter 3. And if you'll flip over there to Romans chapter 3, verse 21. It says, but now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there's no difference. And so knowing that Paul reasoned with Felix concerning righteousness, and as Lindsay and I are there in Romans chapter 3 this week, just going, man, the righteousness of God, it's apart from the law. It's apart from works. It's apart from trying to be a good person. It's apart from trying to keep every one of the 603 commandments. It's apart from that. It is part of faith. Even the righteousness, verse 22 of God, that's through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. If you're a Felix and you've done such public, open, abominable things that it seems like there's no forgiveness, If you're a Drusilla who Hollywood characters take your name just to really show how wicked these people can be, man, you know, that's okay. Because the righteousness of God, it's not about your works, but it's about your faith. And it's to you today, if you'll believe, he reasoned, he persuaded about righteousness. And where are you today? Righteous or unrighteous? Do you find your right standingness with God based upon your works, based upon your labels, based upon your heritage, based upon your legacy, based upon your nationality? Where do you find your righteousness? Because if it's, if, if it's from anything other than Jesus Christ and your faith and your resting and your trusting in what he's done for you on the cross then it is an empty righteousness. It is a worthless righteousness. It is a self-righteousness. And it is an unrighteousness. He reasoned with them about self-control. Right now, where you're at, make a clockwise circle with your right foot. You can do it in your mind if you want, but don't be ashamed. I did it, okay? Make a clockwise circle with your right foot. While doing this, draw the number six in the air with your right hand. Your foot will change directions every time. We as human beings have no self-control. And we're condemned because of it. Paul reasoned with them about their self-control. And no doubt, they were moving in their seats. You can picture Felix, you know, being convicted about his lack of self-control. Their whole lives marked by unbridled lust. Felix, so lustful that he manipulated another woman to become his wife through his sorcerer friend. Drusilla, so lustful and out of control that she heeded this sorcerer's scheme, no doubt through predictions of wealth and grandeur. To become another man's wife, leaving her husband, marrying Felix. Not to mention, Drusilla, as we're told in this chapter, was Jewish. She knew the scriptures, probably from her youth, being brought up with the Ten Commandments, yet she lived her life in complete, total disregard for the word of God, or more importantly, a total disregard for the God of the word. Drusilla, you've got no self-control. She gave no heed to the scriptures. Many Christians here in this room, you know the scriptures. Brought up in a Christian home, perhaps. Memorizing the Ten Commandments. Perhaps even knowing the catechism. The shorter catechism for children. Wearing a cute little pastel dress on Easter morning as you would grow up. And yet you live your life now with total disregard for the breathed out Word of God. No doubt, Drusilla uttered the phrase, Yeah, I know the scriptures say this, but I'm going to do this. That's within the church today. That's within this church today. Yeah, I know the scriptures say not to yoke yourself together with a non-believer because it will turn your heart from serving the living God to serving another God but I'm going to date this non-Christian guy and I'm going to marry him. Yeah, I know, but. Yeah, I know the Bible tells us that the the marriage bed is pure and undefiled and holy and that fornicators and adulterers, God will judge, but I'm going to sleep with my boyfriend and my girlfriend, my fiance. Yeah, I know, but I disregard it. What are you saying in your life right now? Yeah, I know you shall love the Lord your God and him alone you shall serve, but I'm gonna serve the God of this world. I'm gonna serve materialism. I'm gonna serve my career. Yeah, I know, but. And to think of Drusilla as a little girl and that first, yeah, alone, yeah, I know, but. That first compromise and to watch her go in a downward spiral from there, it's grieving, It's grieving. Self-control. It's the act of denying yourself and controlling your impulses. And a secular definition of self-control would say that it's that you might attain some kind of reward. See, man, that's that's actually kind of true. That as we discipline our body, as Paul says, and bring it under subjection, then we might know Christ, lest we ourselves become disqualified. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit of God who dwells in you if you're a Christian. Galatians chapter 5 tells us that. And if your life is marked by a practicing of a lack of self-control, you're just out of control all of the time, then you really need to examine yourself right now to see if you are in the faith. Because self-control is a fruit of the Spirit of God who would be dwelling in you. we can look at all of the fruits of the spirit and examine our lives. Is there love in my life? Is there peace? Is there joy? Is there patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control? Are those things just like dripping off my life? Or are the works of the flesh there in Galatians chapter 5 dripping off my life? Contentions and outbursts of wrath, which is nearly the opposite of self-control, isn't it? What is an outburst? (laughs) Brah! Oh, sorry, just drunkenness, the opposite of self-control, revelries, the opposite of self-control. What is your life marked by? You can look at the fruits and you can say, Lord, is it true that I'm a Christian? Is my life marked by this fruit of the spirit? Not that we don't struggle, but it's very clear in the word that those who practice The works of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. A lack of self-control is a mark of a wicked man. Paul tells Timothy that in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And he says, those that are not in self-control from such men turn away. Rory's paraphrase. From those people that you just see and there is no self-control in their life, turn away from them. First, uh, second Peter chapter one, verses five through nine, tell us that self-control is a trait that's actually added to our faith. Peter tells us for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Then he says this. For if these things are yours and you abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if there's no self-control, there's a barrenness, isn't there? There's a lack of fruit, isn't there? And he goes on to say, he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. And today, as we respond at the end of the service and take communion, and as you have the Holy Spirit, search your heart and see if there be any wicked way in you. Would you ask the Holy Spirit to show you if you've had a lack of self-control? And if so, Lord Jesus, I've forgotten that I've been cleansed from my old sins. I want to be fruitful, not barren and my knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And no doubt Paul reminded Felix and Drusilla, who'd been walking in an unbridled lust, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, Felix. You Felixes out there, and you Drusilla's out there, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idol worshipers, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. He spoke and he reasoned with them concerning the judgment to come. And we remember you can flip over a uh, a few chapters to Acts chapter 17 verse 30 where Paul in reasoning with those from Athens who had been involved in hard core idol worship, literally worshiping these stony things. And he told them, truly these times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world and righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He's given assurance of all of this To all by raising him from the dead. Felix, there's going to come a day. And today, I'm guilty of your blood, Felix. I'm preaching the truth to you. There's a day that you will be judged. Times of your ignorance, it's it's overlooked now. God is commanding you to repent, Felix. You will be judged one day, Felix, by the man, Jesus. And it's all been confirmed. By Jesus Christ being alive right now. By that empty tomb over there in Jerusalem, 70 miles away, that's the confirmation that Jesus will judge you, Felix. Perhaps Paul took Felix and Drusilla to Ecclesiastes and shared the folly of Solomon and the conclusion of Solomon. How Solomon lived in unbridled lust and passion and anything that he wanted, he got for himself. We all know how many wives thousand wives, 700 concubines, just living with sex around him, living with wine around him, living just hoping to find some kind of, you know, some kind of life in even comedians and laughter and working hard and getting a big kingdom around him. This is what I'll live for. This is what I'll live for. And Felix, you are in the same place. And Drusilla, you are in the same place as Solomon once was. But at the end of Solomon's life, man, he had to repent. And he wrote this in Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. That produces a bit of the fear of God in us, doesn't it? That God will one day bring every work into judgment. For me, who's lived a Felix life. For you, who have lived Drusilla's life. In different ways, in different sins. We're all unrighteousness. We all need the spirit of God to bring into our lives self-control. We'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We'll give an account for the things that we've done. He's going to bring our works into judgment secret things, things we've thought, things we've done behind closed doors. Every work, whether good or evil, that strikes some fear of the Lord and it's healthy. And hopefully today it brings about repentance. Perhaps Paul painted a picture of Felix being judged. At this point, it was Paul standing in chains, but Felix, you'll be standing in chains before a righteous God. Books will be opened. His name not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We'll hear the words of Jesus saying, Away from me, you cursed into everlasting fire. Romans tells us that each one of us will give an account of himself towards God. Each one of us will stand before the living God. Hebrews 4.13 tells us that there's no creature hidden from his sight. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And Revelation chapter 20 verse 11 through 5 takes us ahead into the future to what that judgment day will look like as there's a great white throne and as Felix stands there before the judge and books will be opened and he will give an account of all the things that he said, did, thought and his unrighteousness will be shown. And as he tries to give a defense to him about himself, Romans tells us his mouth will be shut and he will be found a liar. And if you are relying on your righteousness today, on that day, your mouth will be shut and you will be found a liar. And the book will be open, the Lamb's book of life. And if your name is not found in it, you'll be cast into everlasting fire. Paul saying to Felix, I stood before you and my case is undecided, but you will stand before God and he will decide your case. And the case against you, Felix, is solid, strong, and undeniable. Jesus bears our punishment, died in our place, and paid the price for all of our sin and rebellion. And I urge the two of you, Felix and Drusilla, to come to faith in Jesus Christ. There will be a judgment to come. Romans chapter three, verse 23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a ransom by his blood through faith to demonstrate how righteous he is because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. There's only one who can justify you. It's the one who is just. Thunderbolt after thunderbolt just seemed to come out of Paul's mouth. Felix could have said like the woman at the well, come and hear the one who's told me everything I've ever done. And it says here that in chapter 24, that Felix was afraid in verse 25. Felix was afraid. Felix trembled or Felix quaked. He was shaking. As the message was preached to him, as Spurgeon said, he that had been base and mean and perfidious, trembling like a coward slave as he really was. And though sitting on the throne, he pictured himself already damned. As Paul took the beard of the lion and hit the lion on his face in his own den. That's what Paul did here to Felix. He was overwhelmed with the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He trembled, he shaked, he shook, he quaked. And hopefully this fear will lead to repentance in Felix's life, turning from his sin to serve the living God who would clothe him in those robes of righteousness provided by Jesus. He quaked, he shaked. But we have no account of Drusilla's response. It would seem as though she had no response to Paul's message. Let's contrast these responses Felix, affected by Paul's message. She seemingly unaffected by Paul's message. Seemingly accustomed to God's truth and no longer pricked by it anymore. Felix was shaking. Drusilla seems unshaken. Felix was undone. Drusilla had it all together. And here we have this beautiful young girl brought up under the word of God, under the law of God, under the touch of God, but completely disregarding God, married to a heathen prince, violating scripture, brought up with the Ten Commandments, yet leaving her husband to run away with another man, a wicked man, lovely, beautiful, wealthy, knowledgeable of God, yet so foolish. History tells us about Drusilla. A few years after encountering Paul, she went on a shopping spree in Europe with her son, And was killed when Mount Vesuvius unexpectedly erupted. Both Drusilla and her son by Felix were caught in a flow of lava and were instantly and unexpectedly killed. And to think that she had had an opportunity to repent and to be clothed in robes of righteousness. History shows us that Drusilla played the fool. As Drusilla and Felix, as Felix says... Go away for now, Paul, and I'll have you come at a more convenient time. At a more convenient time, Paul, I will call for you. Felix's heart pricked for a second, but he hardened his heart against the conviction of the Holy Spirit. These are such foolish words and sad words, perhaps some of the saddest in the book of Acts. To have a guy shake at the preaching of the word of God And to just say, go away and come back at a more convenient time. That's called procrastination. His conviction showing him that things aren't right. Knowing there's a judgment to come. But putting the decision to follow Jesus off to a later date. If you'll turn to Hebrews chapter 3, we're almost done. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 7 says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. And so I have not. uh, And so they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. In verse 12, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Day after day, we're to examine ourselves. We're to exhort one another daily. What's going on in your life? What are these things in your life? What's this lack of self-control? What's this unrighteousness? There's a judgment to come. There's a resurrection of the just and the unjust. Life's too short. Repent, buddy. Come on, you know, let's, let's walk in purity. Let's walk in integrity. Let's walk in cleanness. Today, you're hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. Don't wait till tomorrow. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Don't procrastinate like Felix. That's an evil heart of unbelief if you would turn from the living God today. You know, the writer of Hebrews references the children of Israel who for 40 years saw radical miracles by God in the wilderness. They saw with their eyes miracles and yet they went astray in their hearts. And every one of us, we can be the same way every day. Lord, are we, you know, am I right before you? Lord, is there any wicked way? Lord, am I regarding iniquity in my heart in any way? Lord, if so, Take it from me. I repent of it. I confess it before you. Forgive me, Lord. What's the convenient time that Felix was talking about? Biblically, the convenient time is today. That's the convenient time. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse two says, in an acceptable time, I've heard you. And in the day of salvation, I've helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. And behold, now is the day of salvation. So if you're here today and you're listening and the Lord's convicting you of things that you've got before Him, fornication, adultery, lack of self control, don't wait till tomorrow. Don't even wait till this afternoon. Today and now is the day of salvation. Don't let the enemy lie to you and, and let you speak. We justify ourselves, you know? Man, when I'm finished building my business, then I'll yield to you, Lord. When I get married and have kids and settle down, lack of opportunity to party it up, then I'll yield to you. When I'm, busy, when I'm less busy with school, then I'll yield to you. That's a foolish decision. Some people, after I live my life and just before I'm about to die, then, Lord, I'll yield to you. It's been said that if vice has slain her thousands and pride her thousands, then procrastination her tens of thousands you guys have heard the, the 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 myth the story but it's you know it's it's interesting the four demons in a board meeting in hell one day satan had a meeting with his chief demons to discuss how they could prevent people from turning from their sin and turning to christ and one demon said i will tell people there's no god and satan responded that won't work because only a fool would say in his heart there's no god another demon said i know I will tell people that the Bible is just a collection of myths and fables. And Satan said, that won't work because any honest and logical thinking person can see that the Bible is really the word of God. And finally, one demon came up with the winning idea. I know. I'll tell people that the best time to turn to Christ is tomorrow. And Satan said, that's it. Go for it. That'll do. How many people stand before the judgment White throne, the great white throne judgment, and look back on their life and see how salvation was brought to them. The Holy Spirit spoke to them and they hardened their heart. There's no need to get things right with God today. No need to forsake that sin and turn to God today. Wait till later. Wait till a more opportune time. That's a lie from the enemy, and it's one that Felix and Drusilla bought into. There's no record of them turning to Christ. In fact, as we look at the rest of the chapter, we see that Felix, just his heart got harder and harder. You see in verse 26, meanwhile, he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul, that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. You know, I think that shaking went away. A callous was placed over his heart and he just yielded to his sin and his cravings. But after two years, Portius Festivus, Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. Stuart, you guys can come on up. You can set our Bibles aside. We're going to just close with uh, an extended time of worship. And just responding to just the word of God. As the Holy Spirit has reasoned with us today concerning our righteousness concerning our self-control and concerning that judgment to come. And today, if you've heard his voice, if you've felt the, the sting of conviction in your heart that the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, you hear of judgment, you hear of hell, And you hear that without Christ, that's where you'll be going. Today, yield to Jesus while it's still called today. The human body is so fragile. You have a day when you get too hot and you can pass out and die. One little cell malfunctioning and and you have a death sentence. One wrong turn on the highway and, and You're standing before the Lord. Today, if you hear his voice, respond to his voice. Today, as you hear just that free gift being presented to you of salvation, and that you'll be clothed in clean garments. As Isaiah says, come and let us reason together. Though your sins are as crimson, behold, I will make you as white as snow. And today, just yield to Jesus. Just respond to Jesus. Just, if you're at, just lift up your hand right now. Just physically respond to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I respond to you. My life has been marked by unbridled lust. My life has been marked by following after just materialism and possessions of this world. And I've been worshiping people and what they can do for me rather than you, the living God who created me and loved me and gave himself for me. Respond to him today. Don't turn away. Don't become like Drusilla. Don't become like Felix. Respond. Surrender. Yield your life to Christ today. Who knows if the the shake will come again? Who knows if the quake will come again? Who knows if the Holy Spirit will bring that conviction to your heart again? Maybe today's the first time that you've heard him calling you to salvation. And maybe today will be the last time. Today is the time. Now is the time. Just where you're at right now, just respond. I would just call you today to even just lift your hand up where you're at and just say, Lord Jesus, I am a Felix. Lord Jesus, I am a Drusilla. You know what sins mark my life and that I fall short of the glory of God. And Lord, that righteousness that is to all and upon all who believe, Lord, today I want that right standingness that rightness with you to be upon me. Because Lord, I believe today. I confess my sins before you. Every one of them, you know them, Lord. Forgive me of them. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. Lord, I don't rest upon my actions and my works. They're not good enough. Lord, I rest on what you did for me at Calvary on the cross when you died for my sins. And I rest in the new life that you give me by rising from the dead, Lord. And if you just cried that out through faith in your heart, just receive forgiveness. Just receive the spirit of God who dwells in those who believe. And let him just do a cleansing work in you right now as we respond to the Lord. Just today as we take communion, we're going to have you come on up and get the cup and the bread yourself and just go back to your seats or maybe you need to go to a different place in the room. Just be by yourself. Just confess your sin before the Lord. Confess that even though you've lived a Christian life, there's been unrighteousness in your life this week. Confess that there's been a lack of self-control and just cry out before you partake of the the bread and the cup. Just cry out for the Holy Spirit to give you the fruit of self-control. If you're not a believer, if, if you just don't want a part with Christ, I just ask you to stay in your seat. Don't come up and take communion. Let's respond to the Lord today in song. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write to us at PO Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754, or check us out further on our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.